Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, and you're very welcome to this week's episode of the Group Chat Podcast from Virgin Media News. I am political correspondent Gavin Riley, joined in studio by news correspondent Zara King. Zara, hello. How are you? And joined from the great state of Georgia by news correspondent Richard <laughs> Chambers. Richard, how are you? And tell us, first of all, what exactly are you doing there? Hi. Uh, I'm having a great time is what I'm doing. We, uh, we, we drove in here this morning from Jacksonville in Florida. We've had um, about eight or nine hours of a drive since uh, Joe Biden's rally for the midterm elections in Miami yesterday. Uh, so we're here in the town, city I should say, of Richmond Hill. You'll see people in the background, if people are watching this on TV, they're setting up a rally here for Herschel Walker, uh, who's a Republican uh, candidate for the US Senate here in Georgia. Uh, very much endorsed by Donald Trump. You'll see a lot of Trump flags in the background there, a lot of MAGA, a lot of Make America Great Again, 2020, Stop the Steal stuff. So that's the kind of vibe we're at at the moment here, guys. Uh, let's bring, uh, so bring it back. The midterm elections are on. We're, we're covering it across the states for the next while. Yeah, let's um, just, just bring so it back yeah, to square yeah, one yeah, on that, Richard, one. because uh, what people were uh, seeing, because you've been doing your usual uh, Instagram Q&As, illuminating as they always are at News Chambers' is, is, uh, Instagram account. And one of the questions you've been getting and you're covering is, sorry, what are these elections? I didn't know there was elections coming up. So just br- bring us back to square one as to the elections you're actually covering. Yeah, so this is probably the most important midterm elections uh, in recent U.S. history. It is probably one of the most important elections full stop in recent U.S. history. So every uh, two years in the middle of a presidential term, you have the midterm elections. So you'll have all of the seats uh, in the House of Representatives are up for election every two years and about a third of the seats in the Senate. Now, people might have heard that over the last couple of years, Joe Biden, since he became president, has had some issues getting some of his key legislation, whether that be about things like uh, climate change or infrastructure through Congress because he's blocked, despite having a majority in both houses of Congress, uh, by uh, having very, very slim majorities. So what's actually likely to happen now is that the Democratic majority in both houses is under threat. Uh, He's very much likely to lose the House of Representatives by a good, good margin. And you're going to have a lot of people who are standing for election for the Republican Party uh, who denied that Joe Biden won the 2020 election, who believe that Donald Trump is uh, lawfully should be the president of the United States. You have a lot of people who will have key positions of power, both in Washington in terms of able to set the agenda and the legislation, but also will be able to influence how the 2024 presidential election uh, does get on. Also, you have, of course, people will have seen what happened to Nancy Pelosi's husband, the hammer attack there, effectively attempted murder and attempted assassination, really, on the Speaker of the House of Representatives. There is a threat of violence which has been hanging all the way over this. There's been intimidation, there's been conspiracy theories, really a, a huge level of tension across America around these elections, which effectively, you know, democracy is on the line here in the United States. You know, the undermining of key institutions and how things are done has really set in since January 6th of 2020. And that's really what this election is all about. So for people who um, you know don't follow the whole thing and then who were like, this is why they didn't know that there was elections going on, and they'd be forgiven for thinking that there weren't any because as far as they know, it's always just presidential elections. It's Biden now, could be Trump again in two years' time. Um, but it sounds like from what you're saying that in a weird way, Donald Trump is kind of on the ballot paper. Oh, 100% he is. He's been doing rallies absolutely everywhere. We're going to one 
uh, next week. He's effectively, his endorsement matters more than anything else uh, to Republican candidates. So Herschel Walker here, who's going to be setting up his bus tour, is going to be rolling in here. He's a former American football star here uh, at the University of Georgia. He was in the NFL as well, handpicked uh, by Donald Trump. He is a very much a MAGA Republican. Uh, he is an anti-abortionist, despite the fact that there's been allegations that he paid and pressurized two women to have abortions uh, of children that he fathered. He denies that, of course. Uh, he's also had a patchy track record in terms of telling the truth about things like his educational history, uh, whether or not he works for law enforcement or received training for the FBI. So he's an interesting character. But Donald Trump himself is very much uh, at the center of absolutely everything. Both on the Democratic side, people are trying to say, well, we're protecting democracy. We're electing people to make sure that American democracy isn't dragged into an extremism and into fascism into conspiratorial theories, while people on the Republican side are effectively saying, we want to build the bridge for Donald Trump to run again in 2024. And that's exactly what people like uh, the, the, the supporters of Herschel Walker uh, setting up here behind me with their American flags and whatnot. That's kind of what is key and at stake for them really here as well. But I mean, I mean, the abortion issue I mentioned there briefly, that's obviously huge here as well. So like the Supreme, people remember we talked about this in the podcast before the Supreme Court effectively uh, removed the constitutional right to mm -hmm. abortion. If the Republicans win, the House and the Senate, they can effectively put a nationwide state ban on abortion, which would be uh, really a, an, an incredible change of things, just 50 years of legal precedent thrown out the window. Even things like Ukraine, whether or not Ukraine can sustain itself in a war against Russia, hugely dependent on whether uh, Congress will pass uh, votes, in, votes in terms of the budget and military support. Obviously, billions and billions and billions of dollars have been authorised by the US government at that point. The Republicans saying, effectively, the blank check stops if they win both houses. So this has huge ramifications for absolutely everything around the world, including democracy, including Ukraine, including uh, women's right to choose in terms of abortion too. And Richard, I want to go back to just you touch on there the tensions that are on the ground there in America. This is a really critical turning point. I know, for example, the Commission for the Protection of Journalists was saying that uh, they were issuing advice to journalists working on the ground in the States because of those tensions. Um, are you seeing that being borne out on the ground? Is there is there some level of anger and frustration towards the media there? A lot of booing. We're at a Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is the governor of Florida. Some are tipping him to be the 2024 Republican nominee. He's actually in a bit of a rivalry with Donald Trump. They hate each other effectively because they're both going to be seeking to be the Republican nominee for president in 2024. So Trump's holding a rally in Florida next week. He didn't invite Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis holding his own rally. He's very much, you know, all of the key characteristics of Donald Trump are with Ron DeSantis, including those attacks on the media, the fake news media, the mainstream media. We were sitting through a rally of his in, in Ave Maria, Florida, a very interesting place to tell you about in a little bit, but um, a lot of booing and jeering and very much anti-media anti vibes. We ourselves here, wherever we say we're from Ireland, people are kind of grand with us, really. Like, you know, mm. we, were, we were over here a few minutes ago uh, chatting to Team Herschel Walker and they were like, oh, do you know Shane Lowry and do you know Rory McIlroy? <laughs> I was like, I was, I, I was one of those things where you're like, I'm, I'm Irish so, and I don't want to make it feel like Ireland's a village, but I was like, yeah, I've met both of them multiple times, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, damn they got us there but no I think people, people have been quite welcoming but um, there is absolutely an undercurrent of it we were chatting to actually some media crews in Florida who were like they actually were attending there's a Proud Boys event you know people might have heard of that far right militia group who are mm. becoming you know, towards the, the mainstream almost of the Republican Party they were like we had to have security guards going down to that that's a really really tense scene and I, th I think we're probably going to see more. We're here until the results are in. Like, we're trying to get a pulse check on what's actually happening to America, the America that we knew even 10 years ago, a very, very different place now. Mm. Uh, and I think the attacks in the media and intimidation of the media 
that's going to be a hallmark, really, of what we're going to see, I think. You just mentioned the town of Ave Maria. Uh, this was fascinating rabbit hole that you sent me down after you posted Instagram that you were there. Tell us about the town of Ave Maria. And also, is that where you met the Irish publican that you have a clip that you want to play us as well? Ave Maria, Florida. So we, we, we wanted to go to a Ron DeSantis <laughs> event and we saw that there was one called Faith, uh, Freedom and Family uh, in Ave Maria, Florida. And I was like, that's a nice name for a town. I wonder what the story is with that. And it was at a place called the Ave Maria University. So I was like, I'm going to hit the old Google machine. Actually, my brother tipped me off on this. Uh, he says, you should check out the story about Ave Maria. And I was like, we were myself and Owen Kelly, our camera operator. Uh, we were driving from Miami out to um, Ave Maria. And through the Everglade late, so it's like hours and hours of nothingness. So I had plenty of time to get onto Wikipedia. Ave Maria, Florida was set up in the year 2005. It's a city, it's basically like a, a Lego town, I would say. Uh, it's very fake looking. It has a water park, maybe holy water. Uh, it's a conservative Catholic outpost, basically, uh, set up to push uh, Catholic values. It was a Catholic university in the middle of it. Uh, it was set up in 2005. The guy who set it up was actually uh, Tom Monaghan, who was the founder of Domino's Pizza. So... Um, the, the pizza money uh, went to good use uh, and was put towards, you know, uh, saving the souls of, of Americans around the world. That's really what they actually see it as their mission. We heard from, like, a lot of the locals there who were like, um, we are trying to save the soul of America. We met an old woman, uh, an older woman from, from Banagher in County Offaly. She moved here 57 years ago. She's like, Banagher, uh, Ave Maria reminds me of Banagher uh, 57 years ago. She says Ireland is damned to, ha to hell for what social changes we've seen in our country over the last number of years. She's an interesting views on that but um in terms of actually irish people it's actually a good uh touching point for how things have changed in america we met um in palm beach just across the road from mar-a-lago donald trump's, trump's resort there uh, a, a publican called uh, morris costigan he's originally from county cork he's been here for three decades he's basically he's banned politi political chat at his pub because of the extremism that's set in now he's not a democrat he's not a republican uh, but he basically says that he's very much afraid of what's happening in the united states himself and his wife had conversations about the fact that they might actually have to leave the country where they've set down roots where they have family uh, because of that level of extremism, fascism, as he calls it, which is seeping in. I, I strongly discourage people from talking politics in here um, because it's so easy you can take a nasty turn. Um, I have friends that I've been friends with for 30 years who shot me at times with, with uh, some of their attitudes. Um, I suppose that I never realised. Um, whether they be racist or extreme on either side. Um, and it's, 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 hatred has become encouraged. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at the last president, without doubt he encouraged and promoted hatred. Um, I'm saying that as very much an independent, I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. But, um, and he stoked hatred and stoked people's fears which unfortunately, in history in the past, I mean, that's what Hitler did, that's what Mussolini did, and so on. Yeah, so I think that's actually what a lot of people in you know, the middle, in the middle of America, and Republicans, former old school Republicans, really feel that they're, you know, the country is being lost, that democracy, uh, the country which has been a beacon of democracy in their view around the world is really you know, falling 
down into the abyss at this point. So that's what we're going to be looking at over the next week in a bit, really. Uh, we're speaking to some very interesting people. Sean Spicer, Mick Mulvaney, some key Irish Americans in the Trump administration. Speaking to, uh, we spoke to an incredible woman, Zoe Weisserman. Uh, she's only 16 years of old. She's a survivor of the Parkland shooting. So her views really on what is at stake in terms of gun control in the States. Uh, and uh, also some of the police officers who were attacked and who were uh, basically barely escaped with their lives on January 6th. They basically say that they've, uh, they were defended as a democracy that day uh, so to see what their views are on the fact that nothing has really changed if anything it's gotten worse since that day will be really really interesting so we hope to bring you some of that over the next number of days ahead and Richard we love when you bring us a bit behind the scenes I mean yourself and owner kind of road tripping across America together what's it been like are you a lot of driving involved in this in this trip Price. It's driving and driving. <laughs> driving. We're on the I 95 for about a day. It's one of the longest motorways in the world. It's just motorways and Wendy's. Eating has not been healthy, I would say. Uh, I've also sunburned to bits. I am, my, my, my uh, what's the polite word for it? My posterior is numb from the driving, <laughs> I would say, uh, from, from saddle sore basically at this point. Uh, but it's been great. The sunburn isn't great. It's so hot and humid. It's um, like we're in, the, this is the deep south, the deep, deep, deep south. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, muggy is the, is the way through. But it's been great. We've met some incredible people so far. And, uh, yeah, we'll bring, we'll bring you some more tidbits from behind the scenes as we go. Okay, well, uh, shout out to Owen Kelly for, for sharing his bold, uh, burden of the driving. Shout out to your brother for giving you the tip off about Ave yeah. Maria. Uh, we're going to have Owen on some other week to tell us all the stories that you aren't able to tell us about how bad a passenger you are uh, in future <laughs> times. Uh, all of uh, Richard's coverage, uh, I'm sure, will be uh, very much worth watching uh, on Virgin Media News over the coming days. Um, before we wrap up part one, um, there is, there's been a more domestic story. It's one of those ongoing stories domestically, Zara. Mm. For, it seems now for years, and unfortunately reached a very sad note in the last yeah. couple of days with the passing of uh, one of the major protagonists in it. That, of course, being the story of Sir Vykelchek and the death of Lindsay Bennett. Yeah, so look, people will have seen this in the last week. Sadly, the death of Lindsay Bennett uh, came quite suddenly, really, in the end. I suppose people, when they heard the news, were devastated. Lindsay Bennett, a young mother, 34, same age as me, a mother of, of two children. And um, look, you know, we will get back to this in the coming weeks and we w- there's a discussion to be had in terms of um, cervical check, in terms of the 221 plus group and where those women are now and their families and, and what needs to be done and what remains outstanding. And, and certainly a conversation we will have in the next week or two but uh, for now we wanted to take a moment to listen back to an interview that Lindsay gave uh, to Ireland AM. We'll leave the final words of part one to Lindsay. To have the time with your two daughters Hayley and Zoe who are the most important things in your life and and that does involve you trying to do things that they aren't aware of that that you don't want them to see aspects of your treatment I'm assuming. Yeah, absolutely. Like I get up half five to half seven. I do two hours every morning before Haley wakes up on my machines in my little treatment room that I have before she gets up just to not have her being like, oh, yeah, mammy's got cancer and of course she's doing her machines just to not be in her face with it. And then with Zoe, Zoe decided that she wanted to give uh, sleeping at school um, a shot. And so that's I'm delighted for her that she's loving being 25 minutes up the road. She's in boarding so, school. In boarding school, The one yeah. you went to. The one I went to, yeah. And it's only 25 minutes from her house, but like that, she doesn't see the rush into hospital. She doesn't see me doing my machines. And she's also getting into a routine where I'm not in her life every day. Oh, Lindsay, that's yeah. heartbreaking. Because yeah. I remember last when you are here, you had them both with you as well. Yeah. And 
for Haley, who's only eight, you know, are you very honest with her about it? Because, yeah. you know, that morning she knew exactly what was going on, but it must be so difficult. Yeah, I've know, been so honest. I've been so honest with them from the start, but in the most gentle way that I could. Um, like she was going to her dad's there. Um, two weekends ago and she was going out the door and she was hugging me goodbye and I knew she was in great form and she just turned around and she goes, I hope you don't die, goodbye and she ran out the door and it literally, like, it broke my heart and I was just like, it's just so plain on her mind so that's why I've got in touch with a play therapist to bring the kids, or bring her back again because she's sleeping in my bed at night and stuff now and, you know, she realises mammies do die and when she was like really upset about it, I turned around and I said, look, I, nobody knows when they have to go to heaven. And I said, and I can't promise you how long I'm gonna be here. I said, the only thing is that I can promise you is that I am trying my best. I said, that's why Mammy's now going to Germany. Like she went to Mexico and I said, look, I said, I've already got um, lots of extra time that wasn't expected. And she was like, okay, okay. And she was happy with that, but she's still sleeping in my bed at night now. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Um, Richard has had to run off on a credit for that Herschel Walker rally. Um, not unconvinced that by the time we see him again in a few minutes' time, he will have been drafted as president of I the mean, United States. Listen, or, he might be leaving us. Or at the very least, like a write-in candidate for Congress in Georgia or something. Um, in the meantime... Wouldn't it um, own Kelly either now? Well, own Kelly get elected anywhere. Own Kelly is quite the, quite the fella. Yeah. Um, Two lights Kelly, we call Own Kelly. <laughs> Just for this bit of insider trading. Owen Kelly as a cameraman will offer you two lights, which I'm going yeah. to be honest with you. I mean, Zara, Zara's always, always lovely on camera, <laughs> but if ever you see Zara looking particularly beautifully lit on camera, there's Strong a fair chance, it fair chance it's own Kelly or because Mark he does. Armstrong, to be fair, uh, or Mark Armstrong, Or more from time to time yeah, can also do as well. Yeah, bloody brilliant. Uh, they all have lovely bottoms. Um, while uh, Richard is off to, to go and do that and get drafted for public office, let's talk about um, the, the, un the unlikely news story of the week, which is the absence of livestock outside of the home of the Lord Mayor. Yeah. So In Dublin. <laughs> Okay, well, first of all, have you been to a crib with livestock? As I honest? have been to that crib been to that. Uh, for the last crib. four or five years um, before I had children to bring. Although certainly since I've had children, I brought them to that crib yeah. uh, outside the mansion house. Um, but it is worth bearing in mind that it's, it's a crib which has only, only been in place um, since I think 1995 is the first year that it's there. Mm. So it's not one of those things where, you know, people will be going to their grandparents now and saying, oh, the crib. And they'll say, oh, I was brought to that when I was your age. It's a fairly modern phenomenon. Um, either way, Being brought to a crib is a very 90s child Christmas experience, isn't it? I mean, uh, it probably is. My grandparents yeah. used to bring us to a crib in Cork City and it was kind of an annual thing and there wasn't live animals in it, but okay. it was nice. Like, we liked it. Well, it wasn't the same crib then that Micheál Martin was brought to because Micheál Martin, I know, yeah. was giving a press conference <laughs> earlier this week. You were there. 
and yeah. he spoke very highly of his memories of, of a crib. For, we should probably rewind back a little yeah, bit and say... So exactly. where is the controversy where you should... So the controversy is going is that there there has been since 1995 a live animal crib outside of the mansion house mm-hmm. in Dublin uh, for every year and there uh, there's a sheep there, there's a donkey there, there's a goat there I think and then there's the, the usual nativity scene where you have the three wise men and Jesus and Mary and, mm. and Joseph. Um, and the Lord Mayor this year in Dublin, uh, Caroline Conroy of the Green Party has decided that she just does not want to have it there, that she has a little bit of an issue with the idea of animals being bussed in literally day in, day out to be there for humans to go and have a gawk at. Uh, and they are, by the way, bussed in day in, day out. They're literally brought from a, a family in Wicklow. They're there from nine to six. Yeah. They're brought off at six not o'clock. Not similar to what we saw over the summer with the Puck Fair. No, in, indeed, but, miles off but maybe it is in light of, although it's slightly the fair had the whole different extreme heat. Yeah. The, yeah. But that, the, the Lord Mayor has decided that she's a little uneasy about uh, animals being traipsed in just for the gratification mm-hmm. of humans to go and have a little point and they giggle at mm-hmm. and has decided not to have it. And you would think oh, you, people would go, oh, that's a shame or maybe can we find someone somewhere else? There's been a real culture wars element to how everything has suddenly emerged since where you have like the party press office, like the national headquarters of government parties now like sending out dueling press releases rowing about whether it's appropriate for there to be a live animal crib outside the mansion house and there's a bit of me which we're feeding the monster now by talking about it on the mm-hmm. podcast but like, you not have other things to be worrying about lads well they do but they love a, they love a distraction tactic and they love a story that everyone can kind of get a little bit personally invested in so as you mentioned the Taoiseach was um, out speaking about loads of really like deep important issues and then towards the end the of the crib. press conference and we'll get to one of the yeah. other issues he, he spoke about this week but towards the end of that doorstep he was asked about this um, he kind of laughed and he also uh, suggested that this type of decision was above his pay grade Well I, I've enjoyed Christmases in the past where we visited live animals I could say that and um, they, were, they were well looked after uh, it was Father James up in Ballyville and I remember it well many years ago uh, when we brought the kids up to to see the live animals. But look, we have all different perspectives and and, and, and so on like that and people will have a variety of ways to enjoy uh, Christmas. But do you, you think know? the Lord Mayor's but, uh, but I, I, I think this is beyond my pay grade. Above his pay grade is just a polite way of him saying that I don't want to have to take a side because I'm going to be a loser either way. It's such a cop He did kind of take a side when you think about it. Like he did say he loved a bit of livestock in a crib. He enjoyed mm. going to see it. So I mean, he's not taking his eye, but he's also not not taking. <laughs> I mean, he could understand it wanted to be a little bit evasive, but at the same time, a Taoiseach saying something is above his pay grade when, when literally by definition, nothing is above his pay grade. <laughs> like it's a curious one. Uh, this was a media op that the Taoiseach undertook uh, while he was dealing with one of the other bigger stories that you were also covering, which is yeah. uh, the ongoing housing difficulties in Ireland and the small yeah. thing happening this week which was hoping to address that in its own way. Yes, yeah, so there's a couple of things I suppose this week as well Gavin in relation to so he was opening 65 new housing units at a Cluid housing project in Mulhuddard in West Dublin um, so you know he got a chance to meet some of the families that were living there so for example there was a family a couple and their two kids who have been moved into the new house and the Taoiseach goes in and meets the kids and everything lovely photo op of this beautiful brand new built house very very nice and of course you know the, the government saying this is a symbol of how great housing for all is and we're really flying and look at how great it is for this family. And so we go to the interview with the Taoiseach afterwards and I just sort of said, oh, you met this family, like that that's brilliant. Can you just tell us a bit about like how long they were waiting for a house or, you know, and he sort of was like, um, we didn't really get into their, their backstory, but they're delighted to have their new house. 
I thought, oh, okay. And then I popped around to the house afterwards and just rang the doorbell and said, hi, would you mind chatting to us for the news? And I'd love to chat to you about like how you, you know you mm. got here. And when you sat down with the family, um, the truth was they'd actually been on the waiting list for 14 years to get 14 that. 14 years? 14 years. And they had spent a lot of that time in emergency accommodation, living in a hotel room with their kids. So don't get me wrong, it's obviously a really positive and, and happy experience to have finally gotten their mm. own home. But I just thought it was interesting that like on days like that, sometimes, you know, I, I you know, the government ministers don't ask that question of like, actually, you know, how yeah. long did it take you to get here? And I think the fact that they spent 14 years on, on the waiting list is like damning indictment of how broken our system is. Well, and they acknowledge, by the way, that they are among the lucky ones because Remember that last week we saw a record number of people, and this is figures from the Department of Housing, mm. are now living in emergency accommodation up to 11,000 people. So like, you know, opening 65 new housing units is obviously a positive thing. But when you have 11,000 people living in emergency accommodation, it really symbolises the gap between, you know, mm. this and reality. Well, the very fact that the Taoiseach didn't know their circumstances is kind of curious because mm. A, either they were chosen for basically the photo op on the basis that they were among the hardest cases and the government wanted to feel like it was addressing that and wanted it to be known, mm. but yet nobody told the Taoiseach. Or what, what is possibly more worrying is that it is now standard uh, practice or standard to circumstances long. to be on the list for 14 mm. years. Uh, and I know that when they spoke to you afterwards, uh, talking about how like their children were born while they were still living in yeah, a Yeah, the youngest child was born, yeah, at a time when they, so the youngest child spent his first couple of months of his life living in, in a hotel room in, in emergency accommodation. Now, like they're a gorgeous family and they're so delighted and, and they're like two very hardworking individuals and they're so excited to have their own home now. But both of them do recognise the struggle that it took to get there and that it was 14 years and they also recognise, as I said, that thousands of other families are in that situation. So I just thought it was uh, an interesting one yesterday just to see, you know, sometimes you look at the photographs of these photo ops, but actually I think it's really important important to ask the question behind mm. that as how did we get to this point and how and like what was the, the people's backstory around that so anyway, that was just something that I picked up on yesterday that I thought was interesting to talk about mm. in terms of just especially at a time when we have such a record number of people in emergency accommodation also just really quickly before we go on this I wanted to talk to you about the tensions or the the sort of alleged tensions <laughs> but, I mean obviously yeah. you're at the Paul Court but yeah. I mean this kind of was there sort of slapping on the wrist going on between sort of Fianna Fáil Fine Gael and the Green Party like they're getting to the final stages before the changeover gap yeah. so is it a little bit the, the, There's a touch of that where because mm. now, now that the budget is done and dusted basically it's all eyes on the reshuffle and a little bit of jockeying because every minister is to some degree nervous about either getting to stay where they are or getting put into another department where they have mm -hmm. to learn the ropes all over again or worse, getting dropped from cabinet um, altogether. Uh, I don't know we have time to play the, the clip but um, I know that it was fascinating that oh, when... I want to get to this clip because it's oh, okay. well, let, funny. Okay, let, yeah. let's, let's, let's very quickly then insert the clip. For which context is, before we get to the clip yeah. I just want to say so this is a Taoiseach obviously again at that event this week. Roger Gorman from the Green Party who's obviously Green Party Minister was at the event as well because he's from Dublin West yes. and had been there for the entire press conference but sort of towards the end had to leave and it was kind of the question was asked well has he left because this sort of an awkwardness or attention between the coalition partners and here's what Neil Martin had to say. I just ask you, how is the relationship between yourself and your coalition pals? Are, are you getting on well now? We're getting Obviously on. Obviously Mr O'Gorman had to leave suddenly there. That wasn't anything to do with the friendship or anything, was it? I'd say it was a friend of questions you were going to ask him. <laughs> I jest, I jest, I jest, I jest. But no, the relationship is, the is very relationship? positive. I mean, is there a bit of backbiting going on between no, the parties? Look, can I just calm you all down? <laughs> Much and all as you'd like the story on this one. The relationships are good between the three party leaders, first thing I would say. In respect of some reports, uh, there was no rebuking going on. I think that's contextually the remarks are taken out of context. I would argue very strongly on that um, in the sense that any team that goes out on the pitch, you play as a team. 
that's just a general commentary I would make and I've consistently made since this government started. Uh, there's enough in the opposition having a go at us. Of course, the awkward thing about the timing of his departure was that that was at the time when people wanted to start asking mm. questions about uh, housing yeah. for Ukrainian Green. refugees, which yeah. is his and actual crib, brief. Actually, and the crib, as well. <laughs> yeah. it's also a Green Party. Well, walking away from the Green Party issue, yeah. 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 Um, timing. Which, but it, like, which is, I mean, look, they, they off, that often happens where they have to go off and do something else because it's a constituency ETD. Go, yeah. uh, but it is remarkable. And you're going to see an awful lot more of that sort of caginess about ministers in the coming weeks because mm. there's, there's the reshuffle coming up. And then, of course, there's also, uh, let's not forget, there's the arithmetic of the doll having to vote on whether Leo Varadkar can be Taoiseach and if you have a lot of people inside and now in the case of Mark McSharry outside political parties mm. who are a little bit unhappy about that then I think you can see a lot of uh, a little bit of anxiety creeping into discourse in the weeks to come I suspect. Uh, it's been a fascinating week to be uh, an extremely online person, as uh, we all are in our own uh, ways. Uh, not least because there was that moment where we all couldn't be online because Instagram went down for a few hours on yeah. Monday, but also because um, as three people around a table, a virtual table, and let's all be honest, we all have blue ticks and they're a weird status symbol in our kind of line of work. Uh, but Elon Musk's apparent war on the method of blue ticking and proposing to charge people like us, frankly, for the access to the platform that we currently provide for free uh, is interesting. Um, one thing which I find fascinating about the whole thing, Rich, is that I'm no longer sure that Elon Musk actually rather is some sort of genius, genius businessman because he seems to have spent $44 billion on a product that he has absolutely no idea what to do with next. It reminds me of the scene in The Simpsons where um, Homer is the union boss and he's negotiating with Mr. Burns and about the dental plan and all that sort of stuff. He starts spinning around on the ground going whoop, 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 whoop. I think Mr. Burns says that maybe he's not the master negotiator that we thought he was. <laughs> That's kind of what it reminds me of. So, like, there are clearly, like, plans which are, which did not exist for how uh, mm. things would go once he took over. He let, let a load of staff go. And he seems to be just spitballing and throwing, you know, darts at a wall and seeing what sticks about the verification, you know, plan and Twitter blue and, you know, paying for your your, your blue tick. Gav, would you pay for a blue tick? Um, would you not just leave Twitter? I, 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 I certainly wouldn't leave Twitter because I, I, I mean, this is a if really you, sad gonna, thing gonna, to concede. Go on, Richard, yeah. If, if anybody, if anybody, if I know anybody who, if I know anybody who actually pays out of their own pocket for a blue tick, I'm real life unfriending them. Real oh. life unfriending them, not 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 unfollowing them, not wow. unfriending them on Instagram. <laughs> I am real life unfriending them. Well, that is that is absolutely pathetic <laughs> behaviour. If your if your if your if your company pays for it, absolutely that's fine. If that's a if that's a, okay, because oh, well, well, no, you just managed you just managed to put some glue back in the group chat there because I was about to be like, well, that's it now. That's the end of the project. I'm off. Goodbye, everyone. Um, you see, the thing is, I I don't think I'd pay for <laughs> a blue tick as a status symbol. I think I would pay if if Twitter Blue, which is the for people who don't. No, is a subscription service by which yes, you get. And what's the proposal? So yeah, so so Twitter Blue, as it stands right now, is a paid level of additional service that you can get in only certain countries. It doesn't, that doesn't exist right now. No, it, not in Ireland. No. It does exist in the United States and a few other small markets. Okay. It basically it includes it, here, yeah. it includes yeah. the edit button mm -hmm. and a few other features that you don't get as a regular user. Um, it, like you can embed newsletters and you have easier um, embedding of content and stuff. So it's a little bit more premium and. If it were a case of, you know, offering that worldwide for, for people who are heavy users like me, I probably would pay a fiver or a tenner a month for it. Uh, although it's interesting that Elon was pitching 20. Stephen King, the horror writer, writes back to him and says, I'm not paying $20 for that. And Elon goes, how about eight? Which is fascinating because you don't think that the world's richest man is going to make money from like basically... But he's like literally haggling. On like virtually holding out like a, a cap to like a horror writer on Twitter being like, how much will you pay for this product? Um, <laughs> 
So, but that's one thing. It, tying in the blue tick and the verification uh, and that to this idea of having a paid level of extra service, mm. I just kind of find very curious because if you remember why the blue tick exists in the first place, it's so that when somebody is posting and they're calling themselves Michal Martin TD or Leo Varadkar or News Chambers or Zara King or Gav Riley, that they are who they say yeah. they are and not someone else. And I'm not sure that all of those people would pay 8 or $20 a month for that privilege. And I don't know how, Richard, how you feel about that. I don't think you should. I don't think you should play along with this game. Like, you're verified. If you're verified for, you know, because you're a politician or a public figure or a journalist, mm. it's there because of that. It's not because you've paid a couple of quid every month towards Elon Musk uh, and his revenue-making stream. I think the most interesting thing about Twitter since Elon Musk did take over is how, and it actually ties into why I'm here, is the level of disinformation at actors, uh, conspiracists, really, who have rallied around the fact that Elon Musk has taken over Twitter. Mm. There's been a huge rise in hate speech reported in the US on Twitter, in particular anti-Semitic speech uh, and uses of the word of the N-word, which people like LeBron James were calling out, uh, really. Even though the content moderation... Um, rules actually haven't changed yet. And, and that, that's Elon quite an important in. point, isn't it? That, really that, that the rules that haven't changed and people just do feel more emboldened about it. That no, literally nothing has changed, but it seems like it's this bad signal for people to act a little bit more out of the bounds of what's considered appropriate behaviour. Well, absolutely. And I, for one, absolutely will not be yeah. paying for a blue tick on Twitter because I, I'm barely hanging. <laughs> I am barely hanging on. I have no on. doubt about that, Zara. Yeah. I have no doubt. I am barely hanging on to Twitter by a thread as it stands. Yeah. I cannot stand the platform at this point. It's a horrible kip at the best of times and it's uh, worse of a kip now. And actually, it's interesting that Elon Musk says that, yeah, we're going to be like, we will have, it won't be the Wild West, he says. And yet he tweets conspiracy theories about what happened to Paul Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi's husband, before deleting it later. Um, Again, it just sounds to a complete chaos and a lawlessness, really, that there is is there existing in Twitter. And it kind of exists across social media as well. Because I noticed there the other day, uh, a a congressional... I'm just going to look over my shoulder, make sure I don't upset anybody saying this, but there was a (laughs) congresswoman from Virginia, who people are from Georgia, I should say, uh, called Marjorie Taylor Greene, who people might have come across as perhaps one of the most extreme people uh, in uh, Parliament in any uh, democracy around the world. And she posted up a video on Instagram. I'm not going to tell you the content of it because I'm actually not sure about the legal uh, groundings for us even repeating it. Uh, But the fact that it's still up there on Instagram uh, is profoundly shocking to me. Um, It contains basically allegations against the US President Joe Biden. Uh, But the fact is that, like, nobody has ever gotten a hold of of hate speech as a social network, whether that be Facebook, it be TikTok, which I'm actually baffled any time I'm onto TikTok about the level of misinformation and hate speech on there. Uh, Twitter has always been a cesspool. Uh, Facebook and Instagram are pretty uh, terrible as well. Mm. Everybody knows what Facebook did in referendums like Brexit as well as the US presidential election. So I just don't think that any of them have a thing. I think I think it's time for a full ground up uh, reset of the social sphere. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who's with me on that rallying call. Well, <laughs> we did have this conversation in our group chat the other day and we were talking about this and we were saying that like, I suppose the thing about it is though, like user behavior is a big factor in all of this. So like, you know, even if you were to like rid the world of the current social media platforms, like, you know, even if a new one started tomorrow, like user behaviour would be still be a contributing factor to how the whole entire experience would play out. But yeah, you're right in terms of the fact that like they have to have social responsibility, the actual platforms themselves. And like how many times have all of us reported, uh, you know, tweets or Instagram posts or things that like are clearly in violation of like someone's, you know, basic right to their good name. And mm. like you've gotten mm. back, uh, this doesn't violate our community. <laughs> and you're like, Really? Yeah, like that that, that, that that is like the, the, one of the more bizarre things about it because like we are like not to get out the world's smallest fiddle because you know we kind of exist in public yeah. life whether we like it or not. Which is um, totally fine. But that, like we, we are like all like routinely libeled 
uh, like a lot of days for like day in day out for the last or couple of years. Online, yeah, because people just do, people that. think that we are agents yeah. of misinformation because of the approach that we've taken to the big story whose name we shall not bother repeating this deep into uh, the podcast. Um, and like routinely being, you know, just having good names tarred by that in manners that you wouldn't be allowed to do in any other medium. Mm. But the thing about it, though, Richard, is that there seems to be this tension where big social platforms consider themselves to be the medium, not the publisher. So where Virgin Media uh, Television couldn't broadcast something like the Marjorie Taylor Greene allegation that you just mentioned right now, mm. that they can get away with it because they don't see themselves as the publisher. They just see themselves as the means through which you get it. Pretty much. But like, I mean, there has been political arguments and without getting into them about, you know, how do we, is it, is it not worth regulating who owns social networks? Is it not worth uh, considering whether or not it is wise to allow you know, your Facebook and Instagram to be controlled by one dude, Mark Zuckerberg, to allow Twitter to be controlled by Elon Musk, powerful people of huge influence, uh, and, you know, who have, of course, their own political perspectives and their own views on how things should be moderated. Should that not be opened up a little bit more so that we make sure that, you know, people are protected, that they aren't, you know, victimised and abused? I would say so, potentially, mm. that that's something mm. that should be looked at. But it doesn't seem to be... It doesn't seem, nobody seems to really want to, to tackle it. I think that there is a, a, f a fear that people will be seen as anti-business or anti-free you know, free speech or whatever, and that's that's a difficult line to... Oh, it's kicking off here behind it's me. It's all right? kicking off behind here. Uh, well, which, which, means that, we'll which means that we'll, we'll, we'll let you go then and go talk to Herschel Walker in just a minute. Zara, come in. Well, I was just going to say, just obviously uh, on Monday, Instagram had that issue where uh, people were losing their accounts on Monday and there was an awful lot of people losing followers and things like that. And Instagram came out at the time and said that they were aware that some people were having issues accessing their accounts and um, said they were looking into it and apologised. They then went on to say they resolved the bug and it was causing people in different parts of the world to have issues accessing accounts. What was interesting and what we talked about uh, at the time on Monday and it's worth discussing on the podcast today is that a lot of people who like rely on their income wholeheartedly from the likes of Instagram were certainly panicking. There were people who had, you know, once had a million followers who found themselves kind of back at the sort of 800,000 mark mm. and they're relying on those statistics, they're relying on those insights to, to literally pay their mortgage. You know, that a lot of people are running their businesses through social media channels and like any sort of a glitch like this in the system, it just goes to show how sort of potentially flimsical the system is, that it's so quick that it can go offline mm. and all of a sudden your mm -hmm. livelihood is gone. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that's something which, you know, you need to look at is how when there's a small, slight glitch on any of these things, that they have fairly profound implications. I mean, even the, even if you look at WhatsApp, which isn't strictly a social network, but is a messaging platform mm. owned by the same guy who owns a number of other social networks. Look at what happens when WhatsApp goes down. You have literal political chaos in terms of, you know, <laughs> what happened in the UK when they were deciding, you know, who was getting cabinet positions. It mm. happens to us. It's very hard to run a newsroom without WhatsApp. It's very hard to organise a house and who's putting out the bins and all that sort of stuff without WhatsApp. So <laughs> I just think that they're really, you know, it, it, it's mad how, how, how dependent we become on these things. And it probably is something which is worth a little bit of self-reflection by all of us and maybe a little bit more uh, pertinent reflection in terms of how much we, uh, you know, we, we singularise power in these very, very, you know, small individual apps, really, which have a huge, huge reach. Says the three people who named their podcast, the group chat. Yeah, well, then that, now I'm also wondering, is there previous where, like, one of you forgot to put out the bin That's in the house that you used to share? Because the WhatsApp group went down once upon a time. I do think it is worth just kind of reflecting on that, though, because, like, when was the last time that either of you went to the homepage of a news website? Like, it's not something which is often done anymore, because you're often following a social link which has been posted somewhere. And if that network changes the way that it shows that content, or you know, if it's Facebook and it they decide to change the algorithms so that you see more content from your friends rather than from particular brands or publishers, then like if you're a small publisher, that can completely kill you off. And, and it's just mad to think that some people's incomes are so precarious that all it takes is one engineer 
tweaking an algorithm and suddenly then you plummet and your advertisements are worth nothing and that's your business gone just because some social engineer in the other part of the world decided that they wanted to tweak how someone's newsfeed uh, reads, which is a little bit wild. Um, Richard, I get the sense that you, that you are now looking over your shoulder with increasing concern about Herschel Walker's uh, <laughs> supporters and, and what they're getting up to and whether you need to go back and do your day job. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just interested in what's happening because there's a fairly energised crowd and you're seeing a lot of flags and stuff like that and some interesting people. Are you able to stick around? News. We've got a big chat about uh, Matt, Matt Hancock sure. coming up. <laughs> Let's see how we go. Let's see how we go. Let's play. Let's, let, let, I want to get into Matt Hancock. Yeah, you may or may not be here after the break. Stay tuned. <laughs> okay, Richard is still here, still here. For, for just a moment. Uh, Herschel Walker <laughs> is calling any moment, so he, he might just disappear. Uh, but we wanted to keep you online because we wanted Richard to give us his take on the fact that the man who held the position equivalent to Simon Harris or Stephen Donnelly in the middle of a major global pandemic and who was responsible for uh, massive uh, policy successes and failures, massive procurement successes and failures, uh, who was responsible arguably for the death of tens of thousands of people in the United Kingdom, is now going to be eating kangaroo testes in the Australian jungle for all of our amusement on television. This face. Well, it's just, a, it's just another example of how the mighty have fallen uh, as a country, uh, as a political class of a country, that uh, this was the path for one of the holders of the great office of state in the United Kingdom to go down. Uh, people might have seen, last seen uh, Matt Hancock when he was standing outside Conservative Party headquarters getting sandbagged for a handshake by Rishi Sunak. Uh, and now he has decided, well... There ain't no future for me in this politics. I am going to the Bush Tucker trials. Uh, it is a deeply symptomatic of an unserious country in an unserious times. Uh, and yeah. I look forward to seeing how he gets on alongside Boy George, Mike Tyndall. Uh, I don't know who else is confirmed for that show. Uh, I actually didn't recognise a lot of the other names when I was cycling through actually. the video yesterday. Uh, that's not to say that it won't be fabulous content on Virgin Media 1 at 9 o'clock weeknights uh, yeah, in, but in I times think to come. What's interesting is, though, to listen to the Vox Pops from his constituency in West Suffolk on the BBC, like one man coming on saying, well, like, we lost our local bus service. <laughs> no. <laughs> and he didn't come to the meeting last week when we lost the local bus service. So he can't come as far as the meeting on the bus service if he can make his way out to the, to the jungle in Australia. I think it kind of speaks volumes, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, it is worth, of course, staying for... for uh, listeners and viewers who don't keep up with these things that he has now been suspended from the Conservative Parliamentary Party because he's basically leaving yeah, Parliament. Richard said, like, Richie uh, totally snubbed him outside well, the Conservative Party then, HQ. But, like, he was never really, like, he was never going to make the comeback. Well, then you wonder, actually, was was he standing government. outside Tory HQ secretly delighted that he didn't get a handshake? Because not only is he doing all of this as well, but he's also got his pandemic diaries, which are due to be published, I think, oh, the first yeah. week of December. Everyone's favourite Christmas read, How a Man Dealt with a Pandemic. That's going to be a, a, a rock and roll uh, read. I'm sure, um, but that so would you then secretly hope that he didn't end up in cabinet? That, will the diaries be a get fair? In? Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah. that, 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 I mean, he was standing outside the Conservative HQ to get on camera. He, yeah. He's gone on this campaign to try and repair his image, which is very hard to repair given the circumstances of what happened. But it is it is something which seems to happen a lot more in UK politics. Again, I'm just looking over my shoulder here. Um, uh, didn't Stanley Johnson appear on one of these reality shows? Yeah, he Penny did. Mordaunt, who has a, a current cabinet minister, appeared on Splash, uh, the diving show, one of the, which was described by, I think it was The Observer, as the worst television show <laughs> in the history of the medium. Edwina uh, Curry Dorries, did, I think, Strictly. also appeared. And uh, she did. Edwina Curry, yeah. of course, Ed Balls well. did Strictly, although not as an MP. Ed yeah. Balls. Ed yeah. Balls did, yeah. yeah. Um, but, I mean, all of that, though, uh, often not when they were still serving in Parliament. The guy's basically taking three weeks off a highly remunerated job to go and disappear into the Australian 
Australian jungle where he is going to be made to do every single Bush Tucker trial. Like, they mightn't even bother having the phone-in votes now. You know, when the banner comes up at the bottom of the screen, it's being like, oh, you can't Indeed. vote in the Republic of Ireland. No point voting. Matt Hancock is going to be doing all of them. All of the people who have any emotional investment in someone who died and who maybe died unnecessarily thing, in right? 2020. Here's the thing that kind of bothers me a small bit, right? Is that, like, I know we're going back to all politics is local, right? So the local bus service is gone, right? Where he's from. Mm. And this man is too busy worrying about his own reputation. And like, you're right, he will get voted to do all the trials. And then what'll probably happen is, unfortunately, people, he'll endear himself to people because he'll be perceived as being good crack. And this is actually a really good roll of the dice for him. I would predict that he may end up winning. I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. I'm calling it. I think a lot of people think he'll be the first one out, but I don't know. I'll have that bet with you, Zara. Yeah. I'll have that bet with you. I'll have that bet. I don't think he'll win. I think he'll do better than people think. But I, I just think, think he will the, as well. the role of reality television, I think being here is actually probably one of the most profound things, one of the most sense, you know, it raises questions about that. Like, all of these people here behind me, their hero is Donald Trump. Uh, yeah. And you ask a lot of them why they voted for Donald Trump. Initially, they said that he ran businesses and they saw him ran businesses, run businesses. And where did they see that? They saw that in The Apprentice, yes. which was a yeah. reality show, which papered over a lot of the cracks of bankruptcies and whatnot. Yeah. So these things can often have unintended consequences. We actually have to run here, guys. I think okay, we're going to we're gonna let you you know, go. We're gonna have to wade right. through all these pickup trucks and American flags. <laughs> and we're going to hop in there. And if I survive and I can come back next week, uh, I okay. will be gladly uh, fill you in on my adventures with Herschel Walker and co. Okay, Richard, okay, go. Thank go. And uh, thank you very much for joining us in this week's group chat. Yeah, dude, he's gone. And, um, yeah, okay. I, I sort of like that we've left on a moment of tension because now he's taken on that bet with you as to whether Matt Hancock is going to be the king of the jungle. Because well, let's, let's watch this there's a little bit of me that thinks that the British public are actually so vindictive about some of what went on during the pandemic when mm. he was Secretary of State we should state again for people who didn't know um, that there's every chance he gets voted through until the very final leg and then he loses to um, your one from Corrie or, or whoever it is or Mike Tindall or, or someone else who's probably been on Strictly as well that they will carry him through right to the end and not make him King of the Jungle and just, just to play even, with like, him I mean, we, just, we haven't even really touched on the affair and everything people were quite horrified by that as well I mean at a time when he was telling people to social distance mm. uh, he certainly wasn't Well you probably could have argued that that was his household at the time just that the rest mm. of his actual blood family didn't know about it yeah. um, but isn't it like it's mad to think though like what would be a comparable situation that it would be It would be like Stephen Donnelly I guess going like, into the jungle Well right? Stephen Donnelly going or, or some other comparable Irish format Stephen Donnelly going on like cabin fever or something um, which which actually come to think of it Senator Mark Daly now the King of the Shannon a reality show and um, Michael Healy Ray did it and it was like on an island off the west coast of Ireland and oh. I think, I think um, well, that was the one that, that led to the controversy about all the phone French was on that as well at the time was that the one that led to the controversy about all the phone calls being made from Leinster House to vote for Michael Healy Ray and uh, this at the time when his father uh, the late Jackie Healy Ray was a TD and he of course denied we that all the phone calls that. I don't know. <laughs> came from his account um, but it, like it's just, just a bizarre world to think that a guy who you know it's also mad to think that he could have been possibly had another job in Rishi Sunak's cabinet and still have been out there doing a book tour flogging you know, a book that tells all about the not so good moments he had the last time that he yeah. had a job in cabinet. Just but that's the problem as well. Like he's being paid by the taxpayer to go out and basically relaunch his uh, celebrity career. And even the word celebrity actually to describe politician is a little bit... Mm. Uh, he says that he's doing it to draw attention to uh, some of his work in the health portfolio about I, I think it's mental health but possibly some other areas of which mm-hmm. that he, he now considers to be passion projects and which he will be trying to draw attention to how he proposes to do that while eating kangaroo testes in a jungle uh, with barely sautéed rice I'm not so sure but um, you can catch all of it I'm sure on Virgin <laughs> Media 1 <laughs> in the weeks to come you can see him do all 
all of the Bush Tucker trials. Uh, we had better go. Uh, thank you, In Absentia, Richards yes. and Herschel Walker in Georgia. Uh, thank you, Zara King. Thank you, Gavin Riley. Uh, thank you for watching or listening. Don't forget to leave a rating or, and set your series link, all the usual things that you do for a podcast and set your series link uh, for Wednesday nights now uh, on Virgin Media 2. Uh, and other than that, we will talk to you again uh, next week. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.